Let's <laughs> put it in my pocket, I guess. All right. It's always, a, again, a fun day when we get to celebrate baptisms. It's just too much stuff up here. It's also been fun to be able to get to know Lennon over the last couple of years and to see his journey. Lots of great conversations, difficult questions that he's had throughout the years um, as difficult things happened in his life. Um, so it's been good to see how God has led you thus far and how you continue to pursue him, how that's going to be played out. You know, your story is very reminiscent of what we're going to be talking about today as we continue in our sermon series. Uh, we're talking about instructions given to the early church through the New Testament authors. And it's a very broad category, but we've been zeroing in on a few passages to dive a little bit deeper to look at some of these instructions. Today we're gonna be looking at 1 Thessalonians 1, if you wanna turn there. Um, and if you were here for the keeping in step with the spirit portion of the series, we looked at later chapters in Thessalonians. Uh, there's a lot of different instructions in there that talk about keeping in step with the spirit, and we hit that pretty heavily. We're going to make some of those connections today. I mean, it is a very rich book, so I suggest if you have some time this week for devotionals, maybe reading through First and Second Thess Thessalonians and seeing the instructions that are given to this church and what Paul says about them as well. Because as we read, we're gonna be focusing on a very familiar trilogy of terms that we're all familiar with. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter one, I'm gonna read the first 10 verses today. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Father, as we go to your word, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truths. Help us to focus, help us to understand um, the words that were written to this church and how they apply to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
And again, you know, with this letter, I do suggest reading through the whole thing to give you some good context. I think it'd be good for our growth. But as we focus in from this letter into one chapter, we're going to focus in even a little bit more and camp out on just a couple of verses today to stress how they're giving thanks to God by remembering certain qualities about how they are living. You know, Paul uses what was is to become one of his favorite trilogies in the church, other than the Trinity. A group of three that is seen in many writings. A group of three that is built into the sanctification of believers. And we see this in verse 3. Faith, love, and hope. The importance of the number three can be seen throughout all of scriptures. Later in Thessalonians, he talks about how the whole person is body, soul, and mind. Here within faith, hope, and love, you also have covered the past, present, and future. You know, these three qualities are found together in other books of the Bible as well. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, Paul shows how they sustain us in times of trouble. Galatians 5, 5 and 6, and then Colossians 1, 3 to 5, you see faith being tied to hope and love in very unique ways. And then Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, faith, love, and hope are set forth as the basis for maturity in the Christian life. And of course, the best known use of this is probably 1 Corinthians 13, 13. In the midst of his lengthy discussion on spiritual gifts, which we just got done going over, he gives this verse, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest is love. You know, I think as we're going uh, through this section, it's going to line up a lot more with the Ephesians reference in terms of Christian maturity, in terms of what Paul is remembering for the Thessalonians. He's showing how these qualities are being evident and seen within how they're living their lives, and he's commending this church for that as well as instructing future believers. See, these three virtues are very deep teaching on Christian responsibility, our response to the love of God. They turned, they turned from idols and turned to faith in Christ, as it says um, down at the end of our passage today, uh, verses 9 and 10. They, they were able to serve the Lord in love, they held on through tribulations, through suffering, through hardships, because of the hope that they have and the future promises of God. So this morning I wanna look at each three of these virtues in a deeper way, based on how they're being described here. So let's go into faith first. And as you look at that in verse three, as it says, your work of faith, do you find that strange, the way that he writes it? Does it trip you up at all? Because in Ephesians, it says, by for grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we can ask the question, how then is faith a work? You know, and as believers, we, we wrestle with these types of things in scripture often, we understand we have that starting point that scripture does not contradict itself. So what Paul is saying here is actually echoing James's teaching. James in chapter 2:18 says, "But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. 
Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You see, faith works wherever it is present. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Let me describe this phrase in a different way. Have you ever had the fun question of, so, what do you do? I love that question. I've shared before, I don't like to answer that question with, I'm a pastor. Because immediately when I say that, people put up walls and they begin to defend their actions, they defend their lives as if I'm some sort of judge that's going to condemn them. I liked it better when I was working in my family construction business when I was a teenager. I had a job title. My job title was gopher. <laughs> Go for that screwdriver. Go for that board. Go for that drill. Got really good at that. But it was easy. You know, being a pastor, you wear so many different hats, it's hard to figure out what an actual job description is. It's kind of a catch-all term anymore in terms of what does a pastor do. But, you know, you think about this question, this phrase, work of faith, it gives off more of an understanding and meaning of vocation, a sense of understanding who you are in your identity. And the way that Paul is laying it out for the Thessalonians, how he is remembering them, is for their vocation as disciples of Christ. Christian discipleship is their vocation, their energy, their work. Now, the jobs that they might have done, they might have, they would do for a living, but the priority was always their vocation and their discipleship in Christ because that is where their identity was. That is what they worked out of. And they are, this is a model presently for us to understand today as we face those similar questions in terms of where is our identity rooted. As a believer, we need to understand that the work of faith is us acting upon the word of God. When we're acting on what the word of God says through obedience, your faith is evident to the world. This is the same point that James makes. We see another connection in John chapter six, where Jesus is speaking to the people and he's talking about faith and works. And he says, beginning in verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Faith is about our complete trust and belief being placed in Jesus and the promises of God. Now that's a loaded statement because there's the entire gospel message encaptured in that statement. As believers, we might understand that, or at least parts of it, to understand that we are all sinners in need of salvation. To understand that Jesus went to the cross voluntarily to sacrifice himself on our behalf that his blood pays the sin debt that we owe, that he was raised from the dead because he did not sin that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we patiently, expectantly wait for him to return. 
We have faith in the truth of his word. We have faith in the promises that are found in the Bible, and that is displayed in how we live our lives. Let's talk about the labor of love. Again, we see this idea of work behind this term as well. To where believers have the responsibility to do what God asks. And as we think of love, we understand that it's the greatest of these three virtues, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And we love others because we are first loved by God. Now this labor of love can be difficult to define at times because when we think of love, many times we just recognize it by a feeling. But it is so much more. You think about how we are basing our love on what we see and what we do. You know, this term, labor of love, it's different from work. Here, it expresses fatigue, toil, hard work, exhaustion. Love takes labor, takes blood, sweat, and tears. It goes through the hardships. This agape love, it is intentional. It acts in the best interest of another person, whether or not you feel like loving. It is the opposite of what we talked about last week in terms of repaying evil for evil and having vindictiveness. See, love will labor, but when you're walking in love, it doesn't seem like labor because you're working out of that agape love. That is your starting point. Jesus put it this way in John 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's pretty straightforward. Love to God is expressed by our obedience. And we're obedient because we understand the salvation that we've received and we operate out of that place. Because when we base our love and how we're loving others on feelings, well, that's going to be like a roller coaster. You're going to have ups and downs, twists and turns. Think of our marriages. Love is often demanding, exhausting, sacrificial. And we fight off feelings of bitterness. The thought of, am I the only one sacrificing in this marriage? And when you have both people thinking exactly the same thing and no communication between, it gets exhausting. You know, I think when Elaine and I got married, we were early in our 20s and we didn't have anything to our name. We were living on love as Alan Jackson sings. And there was hard times, but you make it work and you push through. And it took time to learn that love is patient, that it is kind, that it is not envy, it's not boastful, arrogant, or rude. It doesn't seek its own way. It's not resentful or irritable. It does not take pleasure in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love is something that we can continue to grow deeper in each and every day. Loving one another the way that God loves them. The third virtue that Paul says that he remembers them for is their steadfastness of hope. 
Now today, we've been over this before, there's many things that we can place our hope in. Our jobs, our spouses, our bank accounts, the government, our favorite sports teams. The list goes on and on. We see a lot of these things in the world that we put our hope in and they fail us. They fall short. But we look to them to be there for us in the future. We look to them for a place of stability. We look to them because we want something to hold on to, something that we can count on. But it's not always that way. Paul lays out here for the readers that the Thessalonians placed their hope in their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was something worth remembering for Paul. Their hope was firmly in Christ. As believers, we too hold on to the hope that comes from Christ, the hope that we have in his return as king. It's a hope that gives us strength and comfort through different times of hardship and suffering, through trials and persecutions. It's a hope that carries us through those circumstances, and it's a hope that, that we have in Christ which will appear foolish to the world because they are perishing. But yet to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. These three qualities are evident in the lives of the Thessalonians. And Paul is convinced of their election because of them. They became imitators of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, and ultimately Christ, as they followed the evangelists' examples when they were with them for the time. Then they turned around, and if you look in verse 7, they became evangelists themselves. They spread the gospel message to believers in Macedonia and Achaia and then beyond. They took what was given to them in word and deed through the gospel message, and they relayed that to the other areas. They became the evangelists. They were a missionary-minded church, and the gospel message went out from them. Your version might say that it sounded forth or they rang out the words of salvation in verse 8. It implies a persistent testimony for Christ over an ever-expanding area. It creates a sense of accomplishment for Paul in his ministry. Like he doesn't have to worry about them or that area because they've got it covered. They're doing all right. They get it. They're doing the work that they're supposed to do. This entire area is covered so I can go focus on this other area. It's a form of decentralizing in ministry that churches need to be about, that we want to grow into, to where the Great Commission is the mindset of every believer, where it's being lived out, where we are making disciples who are then able to go and make disciples. Paul can hand this task and this area of service off to them because they have such a great handle on things and the representation precedes them as being evident. So much so that in verse 9, it says that other people are telling him of their deeds and testimonies. Now as a pastor, I love when something like this happens where somebody from the community gets a hold of me and says, hey, do you know so-and-so, this is what they did. And we were truly blessed. It really warms your heart as a pastor because you think, all right, they're getting it. They felt loved. They felt welcomed. They were helped. They were served. They were a true representation of Christ in their communities. 
And when that happens, it's like a victory bell. It's like something that is ringing out, that's sounding forth. Now, it doesn't mean that we've arrived or that we're perfected. We'll talk about that next week. I mean, we'll still have slip-ups. We'll still have moments of anger. We'll still have moments where we're not representing Christ very well. But we hold on to and remember the victories because they embolden us to give us strength and courage. And as a pastor, I was truly blessed to watch that happen with Lennon in real time. Lennon might not know this, but he was prayed for long before he stepped foot in this church. Having conversations with the girls about this boy that asks all these hard questions and we don't know how to answer him. Do you have any help? Conversations that would happen outside of church, outside of youth group, but in real life, going through the hardships. To watch children come alongside of him, to answer questions, to pray with and for him, to welcome him with the love of God. Those kids got it. It was encouraging to see and hear the good reports. You know, when we think about Paul, and what he is remembering for this church body, how they, how they worked in their faith, how they labored in love, how they had a steadfast hope. I can't help but make that the prayer for this body, to make that be a part of our lives as well. Because as believers, we all have an awesome testimony to share of the salvation of Jesus Christ that is available for all, that is available to all within earshot as it sounds forth from our lives from our voices. We have opportunities to make this into our vocation, to understand that we are disciples who serve the King, that we get to praise and worship him each and every day of our lives, that we get to serve those around us with the unconditional love of God because he first loved us, and that we hold fast to the hope that we have in him, the promises of his word that he will return for his church. With these three qualities constantly on our minds, it emboldens our heart to step forward in faith, to step forward in this race that is set before us because there is work that needs to be done, work that is for the kingdom. And as a believer, I'm called to be a part of that. Whether that's here on a Sunday, or that's each day during the week with my neighborhood, whether that's with my kids and having to change another diaper through the day, everything can be viewed as ministry. Everything can be viewed as sharing the burdens of, of love and faith and hope with one another. You know, when we get to do the work of the kingdom, we elevate and glory the name of Jesus above all the idols that are in this country, all the idols that are in this world that we hold on to a little bit greater than Jesus. And we get to glorify his name. What an absolute honor and pleasure it is to serve Jesus. And as we go from here in this building, I pray that we can recognize those opportunities and those moments in our lives where we can do the work of the Father, where we can advance the kingdom forward, where we can be his hands and feet and voice to those that need to hear the gospel message. This morning we praise God for his generous blessings, his great mercy, and his unending love. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you again for the baptism of Lenin, and we just pray that you would continue to 
guide and direct him in his life. And Lord, as we study your word, I pray the same for all of us. Lord, that you would help us to understand faith, hope, and love in deeper senses in our lives. What it means to serve you, to advance the kingdom, to have eyes to see those that you've put into our lives that we are able to share the gospel message with, that we are able to serve with the abilities, with the gifts that you have given us to be a blessing. Lord, we just, we thank you so much for the humble nature of the Son to set the example for ourselves. Lord, for we are all destined to be apart from you except for Jesus. Because of what he did on the cross, Lord, he has restored that relationship with you and we praise you. Lord, I know that there are hard things that many of us are going through right now. I just pray that you would give us comfort and peace at this time. That you would give us rest in your presence. That our words would be guided by your spirit, by the words of your truth in your word. That our actions would just resemble the example set before us. Actions that are done in love. And Lord, help us to just continue to live expectantly awaiting your return knowing that there's work to be done in the meantime. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Will you please stand for our last song? Jesus is coming.